Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. For message notes and links to big things going on at Hope, check out the notes section below. When you're done listening to this episode, take a minute to follow us here, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content, additional resources, and more. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. How you guys doing? Doing all right? Happy New Year to everyone at all of our campuses, to those joining in online right now. If you're, this is your first week joining with us, you picked a great week because we are starting a brand new series of talks on the topic of relationships. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to be discussing some really bad relationship habits, some relational killers that are really common in our culture. And then we're going to go to God's word and see what help it has to offer us as we navigate all the different types of relationships that we are currently in. And you should know that the principles that we're going to be discussing over the next five weeks, they are for any and all relationships. You can apply them to a husband, wife or to a parent, child, but they'll also work to a a coworker situation or um, an extended family or bosses or roommates or third cousin twice removed, whatever it is, um, the the relationship uh, advice that we're going to give you is going to be applicable to all those situations. And our hope is that you'll be equipped to maybe avoid some of those bad relational habits in the future and maybe even be able to pick up the pieces of a fractured relationship from your past and really experience reconciliation. And uh, we need all the help we can get right now because like it or not, uh, social media and the amount of time that we spend online has dramatically changed and really affected the way that we relate to each other the past few decades. I can remember when Facebook wasn't a thing. Anyone else? I can remember when the internet wasn't a thing. And some of y'all look like you can remember when the radio wasn't a thing. But uh, now most of us spend countless hours during the week on devices interacting with people all over the world. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but the digital world is very different place than the real world. People will say things in the digital world that they would never say to your face. My friend Don calls it digital courage, right? Um, For some reason, people think that they can get away with the rudest and the worst behavior online. And I think it has something to do with like, there's anonymity, like you're anonymous on certain sites like Reddit, or people just kind of buy into this illusion that the person I'm typing to is not like a real flesh and blood human that exists in this world. So I don't have to treat them like one. Whatever the reason, sociologists have found that the more time a person spends in the digital world, the easier it is to pick up some really bad relational habits. Before social media, we didn't have terms like ghosting or blocking or doxing or canceling. Uh, But now those relational killers are just a normal part of the culture that you and I live in. Let me put it this way. People are digitally connected to more people across the world than ever before. Has this led to a greater sense of unity? No. Has this led to greater mutual understanding or harmony? No. If nothing else, it's led to more division, uh, to more polarization, to more, I mean, just really rude and bad behavior. And sociologists are seeing signs that the bad parts of these online relationships are showing up in our real life more and more often. And uh, so one of the worst habits that we've picked up online is how to handle conflict. Everyone say conflict. 
That's our word of the day. Uh, back before the internet, uh, if you had conflict with someone, you sort of had to figure out how to move past it or at least uh, learn how to be civil to each other because uh, that person might be the person that's like delivering your milk every day and you don't want them spitting in your dairy, right? It's the person that's teaching your kids at school. And so you don't want your kid to come home and be like, oh, I'll learn two plus two equals 48, right? Or this is the person that, that, that fills your prescription. In a tight-knit community, you had to know how to sort of navigate conflict in a mature way. But nowadays, that's not the case. A conflict management is a forgotten art. Instead of mature conflict managing, what do we see online? We see name calling, we have labeling, we block people, we cancel people, we talk over people, we silence people, we report people, we try to get them fired, we dismiss the other person as a moron or as an evil person. And we've gotten to this place in our culture where we don't even have the opportunity to have meaningful dialogue with someone that we disagree with because all we do is follow or subscribe or read or watch people that think like us and vote like us and see the world exactly as we do. So anytime we see something that we disagree with, we just call them a moron or an idiot and unfollow them and go about our day. And so through social media, we've been able to kind of craft this world where we never have to learn how to have conflict in a mature and helpful way. So if you wanna ruin a relationship, just handle conflict the way that you see people handling it online. Now, I have no idea how to fix all the toxic parts of online uh, media that I see today, but we're not gonna be talking about how to fix other people's relationships in this series. We're gonna be doing, doing something a little bit more uncomfortable. We're gonna be talking about how do we fix the relationships that I have and that you have? How do we address and work on the everyday relationships that you and I both have? And if you're in any kind of relationship whatsoever, I guarantee you, you will eventually experience conflict and you're gonna need to know how to work through that. I mean, I've seen so many relationships, not just marriages, but friendships or coworker relationships just fall apart. And rarely is it because of one big thing. Usually it's a small conflict here that was never addressed. And then another small conflict, then another small conflict. And slowly those people just started moving apart. So before we dive in, I want you to think right now of one person that you are in conflict with right now. And if you're not, meet with me after and give me your wisdom, O oh, sage one. But most of us can, can name just one person out of probably dozens or hundreds that we're in conflict with. And just think how you feel about that relationship now. Isn't it hard? Like it's just, it's tricky, it's confusing. You don't know what to say. You don't know what you said to cause it or you don't know what to say to fix it. You don't know when you should say something. You would love a plan of what to say and when to say it. You wanna, you wanna fix it, but you don't wanna make things worse. Well, if that's you, then you're gonna walk out of this week with a really simple practical plan that you can apply to 90% of the conflict that you face in life. And I think God's gonna be able to use it. So uh, what does the Bible have to say about conflict? Well, a lot, uh, but I wanna take you back to one passage that I go back to time and time again, every single time conflict comes up in my life. And um, I remember hearing a pastor, Ben Stewart, unpack it years ago, and it's just stuck with me ever since. And so I wanna share that with you. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, uh, it'll be on the side screens um, or on, on the screen if you're watching online. Um, and you can look in the table of contents. It's kind of weirdly placed in the middle of the New Testament. But if you don't know much about Ephesians, 
Ephesians, it was written by a guy named Paul. It's a letter that Paul, a Jewish guy, wrote to a church in, uh, that met in the city of Ephesus. And Ephesus was kind of the very definition of diverse. Uh, people from all over the known world had kind of flocked to that metropolitan area in Ephesus and had set down roots and the church reflected that. So I'm talking rich people and poor people, slaves, free people, um, Romans, non-Romans, you name it, they were in that church. And so you can bet with all that diverse background and all those different cultures of, of origin and upbringing, there is bound to be conflict. And that was true. There was conflict um, in that church. And there was especially conflict between these two groups of people called the Jews and the Gentiles. Um, we're going to kind of go more deeper into that next week. But these two groups had been fighting, really warring with each other for a hundred years before Paul ever wrote this letter. And now they find themselves sharing the same church building or the same small group. And these two groups could not be more different. So imagine in your mind, I don't know, like a really progressive person, like maybe like a climate activist that was born and raised in Seattle. And now picture in your mind like a really super dyed-in-the-wool conservative Baptist gun rights, like gun owner from Alabama. And imagine both of these people find Jesus the exact same day and they begin attending a small group later that week. Now, do you think there's going to be some tensions to work through? Yeah, I would hate to be that small group leader. There might be like a slight adjustment period, right? That's what's going on in the church in Ephesus. And so Paul writes a lot about conflict in this letter to him. And we don't have time this week to really dig into the nature of that conflict. We will next week, but it doesn't really matter because what Paul has to say to them is applicable in 90% of the conflict that you're going to experience in life. Just read with me in Ephesians chapter 2. We'll pick it up in verse 11. He says this, Don't forget that you Gentiles, he's talking to the Gentiles, used to be outsiders. In those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. You did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. And he did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and its regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. So together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. There's so much in that. We're actually going to hit some of it next week. But I want to highlight just three high-level truths that Paul points to here before we get super, super practical. So first, think of that person that you have conflict with, all right? Don't, don't let them leave your brain. When it comes to that person, really any person that you can be in conflict with, no matter who it is, the first truth is this. You share a commonality with them. Everyone say commonality. Commonality. From the highest level, every single human being that walks on this earth, no matter who it is, is created in the image of God. And so every single human being, no matter who they are, is worthy of dignity and respect. Can we agree on that? 
We're going to celebrate a great man next week, Martin Luther King Jr. This was his dream, that we should all just treat each other with dignity and respect. That's what, that's what God expects us to do. And so no matter who it is, we could disagree about God. We could disagree about what the truth is. We could disagree about what's best for the world, but we could disagree about absolutely everything, but I can still treat you with decency and respect because you're made in his image. But see, Paul, Paul goes even further and he says that if you're a Christ follower and I'm a Christ follower, we share an even greater bond. We are literally brothers and sisters in Christ. You are covered in the same costly blood that I am. That's what Paul's talking about. That's, that's the gospel. That not only did, did Jesus take away any boundaries that separated me from God, right? He paid, he lived the life I couldn't live and died the death that I should have died. And on the cross, he made a way for me to be reconciled with the Father. But as he did that, he also took away any walls of hostility or division between me and my brothers and sisters in Christ. He united us to the Father, but he also united us to each other. And so between Christ followers, there can never be any form of hostility. That wall has been removed. And so anytime I harbor any bitterness or animosity or hostility towards another brother or sister in Christ, I'm just building up brick by brick the wall that Jesus died to remove. You see? So there's commonality. Second, because of sin, conflict is inevitable. Okay, because you're a sinner and I'm a sinner, because you're selfish and you are, and because I'm selfish and I am, anytime me and you get in a relationship, there's going to be conflict. Because we live in a fallen world, because it's sinful, conflict is an inevitability. Right after Adam and Eve sinned, God said, hey, just so you know, immediately there's going to be conflict between Adam and Eve in your marriage. The next chapter we see there's a lot of conflict between Cain and Abel, so much so that Cain kills Abel. That's what sin does. It turns your eyes inwards. It makes us selfish and it will ne inevitably ca cause conflict in any relationship that we will ever be in. But here's the third thing, the last point. Conflict, according to God, can actually be a good thing. Conflict isn't always something to be avoided. In fact, sometimes it's something to be embraced. The Bible tells us it's one of the tools that God uses to shape us into the image of his son. You know, if you've been around church for more than a few years, you've heard that famous verse says, iron sharpens iron. So one person sharpens another. And we quote that, but that's not a pleasant process, right? There's friction, there's pressure, there's heat. It's like a violent action. But, but what that means is if, if, if we're ever going to become more like Jesus, we're going to have to butt heads every now and then. And that's going to be a good thing. Over and over in the Bible, God says that he uses conflict and relationship to bring up some sin that I didn't know about or a blind spot that you didn't know to bring up some of our shortcomings and weaknesses to bring them to the surface so that we can work on them and move beyond them and put them in our past to become more like Jesus. So conflict in some ways is a grace of God that makes us more like Jesus, right? And so the person that really believes these three things, that there's a commonality I share with everyone, especially with other believers, that because of sin, conflict's inevitable and um, conflict can actually be a good thing. A person that believes those three things, they will approach and go through and handle conflict drastically different than people that don't. And so it's with these three kind of truths in mind that Paul in chapter four gives us one of the most powerful and profound teachings on conflict, I think, in the entire Bible. 
And it's easy to overlook because it's so short. It's just one sentence. But it is, it is so powerful and has so many incredible implications. What Paul does as he's working through these chapters is um, Paul basically says, okay, I, I know there's a lot of conflict going in your church right now in Ephesus. And that's probably going to never be a thing of the past. You're always going to have conflict. You need to know how to work on it. And I also know that the people in our culture have a thousand different ways that they're going to tell you, here's how you handle conflict. But... I want to show you how Christians handle conflict. We're not going to handle it the way the world does. Instead, Ephesians 4.15, instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Can we do something we never do around here? Can we read that verse out loud together? Just read it with me. If you feel weird about it, don't worry about it. If you want to, say this with me. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. And in that one sentence, you have an amazing and super practical four-step game plan that you can use to handle 90% of the conflict that you're ever going to be in. So let me just walk through this slowly. Think through that person you're having conflict with right now. Maybe it's a boss that said something that upset you, or maybe it's a roommate that's just making your life horrible. I don't know what it is. Maybe your sibling or a spouse said something to offend you. So how do you apply this four-step process to that? Well, the first step is to speak. Everyone say speak. The first step in maturely handling conflict is to say something, to speak up, to address the situation, to initiate a conversation. And right now, half of you are looking very, very uncomfortable Half of you are like, uh, I just began to get a little bit nauseous in my stomach. It's because half of you hate conflict. You will avoid it at all costs. Like I see some people laughing and smiling and nodding. Yeah, because growing up, that's not how you did things. You never addressed conflict. You swept things underneath the rug and you just let it stew for 70 years until grandma died and then you were done with it, right? And that's me, if I'm honest. I cannot stand conflict. I hate it. It makes me feel awkward. I hate the idea of sitting someone down and saying, hey, you hurt my, my feelings. Or, hey, having to call someone out, no thank you. Like that, that really makes me want to throw up just thinking about it. And so if you're like me, we need to grow to be more comfortable with conflict. Now, the other half, <laughs> you're like, speak. That's a little tame, isn't it? Don't you mean yell? Don't you mean get up in their face? Don't you mean like put them in their place and call them the carpet? Some of you love conflict. Some of you live for conflict. And I can tell because I get on your Facebook page sometimes. But you got no problem calling someone out. In fact, you don't need to grow in that. You need to grow in maybe keeping your mouth closed more often. But here's the deal is the Bible says that you don't need to speak in every single situation. That there's some situations where we need to speak up and there's some situations where we just need to let it slide. We don't have to initiate a confrontation every single time our feathers are ruffled. And you see this balance in the Proverbs. Proverbs 12, 16 says this, fools, now anybody want to be a fool? I don't. But fools show their annoyance at once. But the prudent, the wise, overlook an insult. And so there's sometimes where, you know, we're a little offended and we just need to let it slide. That's the wise thing to do. But then you have other verses like Proverbs 24, 26 that say an honest answer is like a kiss of friendship. 
or the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. If you're going to be in a real relationship, you're going to have to have hard conversations. You're going to have to say hard things sometimes. And you have to figure out in that conflict that you're in what situation it is. And in order to figure that out, like do I need to speak, do I not, you need to answer this question first. Can you overlook it? Like can you emotionally, mentally, spiritually, maybe even physically, can you overlook their offense? And my best advice um, to answer that question is give it a, a few days. Sleep on it. Like after a few days, um, have you stopped remembering that situation, that offense? When you see that person, are you kind of neutral? Like you're not super angry with them? Do you kind of still feel the same way about that relationship as you did before? And if so, that means that you can overlook it. And you probably should. You should move beyond it. But if you keep remembering that conversation over and over again... If when you see them, you're not neutral, you kind of want to like put their face in a brick wall, you know. If, if you've brought up what they've did to other people instead of them, that, that means you can't overlook it. And that's not a bad thing. You may really, really want to overlook their offense, but you just can't. And that's okay. That's something that you can grow in. There's, there's fruits of the spirit called forbearance or bearing with one another or patience that you can grow in in the future. But if you can't overlook it, then you start this process that Paul talks about. You speak. And when you speak, you speak to them. You don't speak about them. You ever do that? I hadn't spoken to them, but I talked about it like 100 people, and I feel so much better. Don't do that, okay? You have a conversation with them, not to others, and you just sit them down and you say, hey, I, I hate that I have to do this, but you said this, and here's how I took it, and you initiate a conversation. But you don't just get to say whatever you want. What does Paul say? You have to do, you have to speak what? He says, speak the truth. Say that with me. Speak the truth. You speak what is true. And write this down if you're taking notes. There's only two things that you can know to be true in any conflict situation. There's only two things that fall in the truth category. There's the words they said or the actions they did. It's what they, they said or did. And there's how that made you feel. That's the only thing that you know to be true. You know some things that you can never know are true? Why they did that or why they said that. That falls outside the truth category. Their intentions, their motivations for doing that. You can't know that. And some of you are so mad at somebody right now because of something they said and, and you've assigned them intentions or motivations that may or may not be true. They said that or did it because they hate me or they just wanted to steal my job or they were trying to get revenge, maybe. Maybe not. Don't assume motives. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they were having a bad day. Maybe they were upset about something that happened earlier that morning. Maybe it has nothing to do with you. That could be true. And listen, just like you can't know certain things about them, they can't know certain things about you. They might not know that they hurt your feelings. They can't know that they ruined your day or ruined your week. They might be completely unaware. And so you speak, but when you speak, you speak the truth. You just put the facts on the table. There's just two things. Hey, when you said this, when you did this, this is how it made me feel. Can we talk about that? So that's the second step. You speak the truth. But when you speak the truth, Paul uh, qualifies it. There has to be a motivation behind it. There has to be a certain demeanor behind it. He says, speak the truth in love, right? So you don't speak the truth to shame them or to guilt them or to destroy them 
or to own them. You see that online, don't you? Like Ben Shapiro owns the libs or CNN destroys the conservatives, right? That's not us. That's not what we're called to do, we're Christ followers. So you do it out of love. Well, what does that mean? It means a lot of stuff. I mean, it's kind of tricky to figure out like how, how to make them know that you love them. I think the first, time, the first thing is plan on having this conversation during a loving time for them. So you probably, that means don't do it in the heat of the moment, but also probably don't wait 10 years to bring it up. You ever done that in marriage? Like, hey, why did you leave the laundry? I don't know, why did you forget my mom's birthday in 1993, right? So maybe a few days is okay, but don't wait. <laughs> Someone's nudging their husband, but don't hold it in forever. Um, maybe not like nudge your spouse in the back at 3 a.m. and say, hey, you awake, honey? Well, that's great, because I just want to tell you that you're really sucky at this. Like that's, a, that's a probably a bad idea. Uh, you don't want to pull your coworker aside before they have a really big, important um, uh, meeting. If I've offended you, which happens, believe it or not, please don't come to me five minutes before I get on stage to do a sermon. That's bad timing. And that's happened two or three times. That's not loving. So you pick a good time. Second, I would encourage you to start the conversation by verbalizing, hey, I love you. Just tell them you're committed to that relationship. Now, if it's like your boss or something, maybe not use the word love, okay? Mr. Regional Manager, I love you from the bottom of my heart. Probably don't do that. But just tell them that, hey, I care about this relationship. Like this working relationship is important as a, as a roommate, as a friend, as a sibling. Like I like the thing that we have here and I don't want to lose this. So the reason I'm saying this is for the purpose of reconciliation, not retaliation. So I, I value this and want to keep it that's why I'm doing it. I think third, doing this in a loving way means you help them understand that they themselves are not the problem. And that might be like, you have to adjust your thinking on this. Like they in and of themselves just existing are not the problem. So when they say, why are you mad? You can't say because you and your stupid face are just right there because I, I can't do anything. I can't change my face. I can't change the fact that I exist. All right, you need to let them know that they themselves are not the problem. There is a problem, but it's not them. The problem might be a lack of communication or it might be hasty actions or the problem is broken trust or the problem is uh, different values or my emotional response or your emotional response. That's the problem, but you need to let them know that, that, that it's not them. And when you frame conflict that way, it makes it so much more simpler and honestly kind of fun to work on. You're like, hey, I'm not the problem and you at the core of your being are not the problem. Here's the problem. Now me and you, we can work on that. We can put our heads together and kind of try to solve it like a puzzle, right? So you, you do this out of love. And this leads us to the last point. The goal of all of this is growth. So the purpose of addressing this conflict, of speaking the truth in love, is so that I can grow and you can grow. That's the last part. Speaking the truth in love so that we can grow. That means that the purpose of this con uh, conversation is to figure out what needs to change. What do each of us need to do differently? Now notice I said each of us, right? Both parties are gonna have to change something about the way that we relate to one another. This is not a one-sided thing. And I think this is why so many of us avoid conflict or just refuse to move past it because it means that we personally would have to change. And we hate change. And we don't think that we need to change. We think everyone else should, but not us. 
Now remember, that's why God allowed this in the first place, so that both of you could become more like Jesus. So the last step is figuring out, hey, what, what, what's that need to change? Let's agree on a list of actions. You come up to an agreement. Like, you won't say that anymore or do that anymore. But if you accidentally do, I'm not going to overreact, and I'm not going to read into it. And for my part, I'm going to stop assigning you motivations and assigning you intentions or reading into your words. And I'm going to work on trust or I'm going to work on lowering my level of response. Whatever it is, God brought this to our attention so that you could become more like him and so that I could. Let's write that down. And you shake hands and you move on. And you move on. And when you've gone through that process, deciding whether or not to speak, and if you can't overlook it, you do. But you make sure you speak the truth and you make sure you do it in a loving way and you make sure you do it for the purpose of growth, then you've handled conflict in a mature and biblical way. And this is so incredibly important. Um, if you're new here, this last part's not for you, but if you consider your hope home and you're a member here, um, I remember sitting outside on my front porch probably about two months after COVID started and the lockdown and um, I had just gotten off the phone, about a 30-minute conversation with the pastor that worked in a different church. And during that conversation, the whole time, he just basically listed relationship after relationship after relationship that had just exploded uh, because someone said something online and this person didn't like it. And they just wrote back this really dismissive um, attack. And um, because they didn't handle the conflict, they, they refused to, they stopped coming to church. They stopped going to small group, even if it was virtual, because they didn't want to be in the same room, even virtual space with this person. And um, it was 30 minutes of just relationship after relationship. And I remember getting off the phone and being almost on the verge of tears because I could think in our church of dozens of situations like that too, where someone said something about masks or vaccinations or the racial tensions or politics or whatever. And someone that knew them from church was attacking them and then they attacked back. And um, I actually called a person that works at one of our campuses because I knew that she was working on a situation just like that. It was an online thing. And, uh, but unlike the other situations I knew, these two people had agreed to meet together. We encouraged them to do that. And so they did with their volunteer team, which was honestly almost split apart because of this conflict. And it was so encouraging as I talked to this person just to, to hear how it had went. And um, she said, you know, they listened to each other. Uh, they gave room for the other person to speak. And then they gave room for that person to speak. And they learned that there were some very deep parts of their past that neither of them knew much about. And when they heard that, they're like, oh, you, you went through that 10 years ago? I can completely see why you would come at it from this angle. Or I had no idea that was your experience. I understand that better. And they apologized and they asked for forgiveness and they reconciled. And not only that, they changed. Um, what they posted online, um, what they, they wrote on Facebook, it was a night and day difference. And I was like, you know what? That's how you do it. That's how you do it. It's not quick and um, it doesn't get you a lot of likes on social media, but it's what we're called to do. Listen, as Christ followers, we, we can't let the world build back up the dividing wall of hostility that Jesus came to destroy, amen? And so we've got to do the hard and daily work of speaking the truth and love for the purpose of growth and hopefully to show the world that there is a much better way to handle this stuff. So would you bow with me? Father, thank you for your word. 
Thank you that it's given in love and that it's true. Um, Would you give us the courage to take your advice? (laughs) Would you even right now instill in us the love for this person that, that you have for them? Allow us to see them and feel towards them the way that you feel towards us. And allow us just to find that loving time to have this conversation that could make all the difference. So I pray over the next few weeks, Spirit, would you come? Would you come in power? Would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you empower us? But more than that, would you unite us? And it's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray.